Welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eaves. Hi, everyone, and a warm welcome to this cybersecurity special. In today's high-intensity cyber wars, you need more than just security technology and operational best practices. You need to master the economics of cybersecurity. In this podcast, we'll be learning how to strike that right balance between maximizing your security effectiveness while also avoiding overspend in the name of protection. So joining me today is a pleasure to welcome Lisa Washburn, who is Senior Director of Product Management at SecureWorks. We'll be sharing how organizations can best protect themselves from those looming threats of ransomware and cyber breaches, while also maximizing their existing security and IT investments. So with cybercrime constantly evolving, how can your organization best respond to the threats? So welcome to the show, Lisa. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. So I always think as a starting point for our conversation today, can we find out a bit more about you, the, the person you know behind the tech, so to speak? I'd love to hear a little bit more to share with our audience about your current role, but also maybe a moment that mattered along the way. I'm sure it inspired many of our listeners. Great. Um, yes. Yeah, so thank you so much for having me here. And I'm happy to share a bit about myself and my journey. Um, <clears throat> so I started in the cybersecurity industry a couple of decades ago, so telling my age a little bit, um, and really doing a little bit of everything for a very small security consulting firm. That firm was actually acquired by a quite a successful cybersecurity product company, and I was working within that company's security consulting division. I was running a team where we were developing and delivering new consulting services. And the VP of product management at the time came to me and said, you know what, what you're doing for, you know, developing new service offerings is really product management. And so he asked me to come to his team and build up a formal product management function around consulting and education services. And I'd have to say in terms of my career, that was really the moment that mattered. So from that point on, I've remained in product management and I love it. Um, and I've grown in terms of the types of solutions that, that I've um, owned. So aside from consulting services, I've had many years of experience in software and SaaS product management, as well as managed services. I've led teams of product managers, portfolio strategists, enablement professionals um, throughout my career. And in my role at SecureWorks, my team of product experts is responsible for our Tejas XDR platform. So that includes our data collection and normalization, our search and reporting capabilities, and then our extensibility capabilities associated with our ingestion and detection engines. So um, that's a little bit about myself and uh, what I've been doing in security. Oh, that's fantastic. It's great to hear that. Um, I'd love to talk about some of the challenges that we're seeing at the moment and how to overcome them, most importantly. So I think we're at this you know, quite you know, transitional point at the moment where so many things have been converging. And we've had things, you know, obviously, the rise of cloud adoption, you know, cloud native applications, API economy, IT, IoT device explosion, you know, different technologies coming together, 5G becoming more mainstream, IT, OT convergence, for example. And as a result, and also, I think, you know, with evolving behaviours as well, you know, employee and consumer expectations expectations and behaviors for that matter. We've got all these things coming together and that's created new opportunities, but also new challenges as well. For example, you know, security threat areas have been 
increasing um, and the threats are becoming more sophisticated as well from different vectors, you know, from ransomware to bad actor collaboration, so many aspects to consider. So from your work at the moment, what do you see as the main challenges for organisations dealing with all of this and overcoming these security risks? So I'd say first and foremost is the shortage of cybersecurity resources. So uh, mid-sized companies, you know, we estimate they might need between four to six full-time security analysts to provide 24 by 7 security. And in the U.S., if we do the math, there's only enough cybersecurity workers to fill about 68% of those roles. So that's, that's, you know, one of the big challenges. I think related to that challenge is really ensuring that the right technical controls are in place to detect and recognize threats so that you have the proper visibility across your organization. So visibility is certainly a challenge across endpoints, network, cloud, identity, et cetera. Um, And then back to those resources, ensuring that the right resources are in place to manage those tools. Um, and, And certainly, you know, security staff can easily get overwhelmed with the number of security tools and and the alerts they generate, uh, you know, that they need to manage. Um, Again, we see that the average mid-size enterprise company has between 15 and 40 security controls in place. So so certainly those things are a challenge. Um, I'd say also, you know, kind of lastly, companies struggle with how to respond if a breach against them is successfully executed. So, you know, I think everyone knows well-defend organizations can still suffer intrusion. So I'd say resiliency in the face of an attack requires planning and preparation. And that's certainly a challenge that organizations are dealing with today. Absolutely. So it's kind of these three pillars, really, in many ways, isn't it? So visibility, data noise and complexity, and that security response activation as well. So excellent points there. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate that. And I always think as well, you know, kind of knowing where to start with dealing with some of these challenges, particularly that noise one, I think is a really interesting one. Um, it is a, is a great place to look at to help people overcome the challenges. So if you're in the position of an IT or a security leader today, what areas would you recommend determining to focus on? You know, that starting point, where do you invest? Where do you start from when developing a security program? And how also can you monitor that? How can you evaluate its maturity and success along the way? Yeah, so like I said before, I think when assessing uh, and when an organization is assessing their security needs, which they can do on their own or they can, you know, look to, to uh, other consulting firms to help. You know, a few things should definitely be taken into consideration. That visibility piece is key. So they're going to want to make sure that they have controls in place that provide that visibility across their environment. Um, and don't forget about preventative tools. You know, that definitely should be part of the arsenal. Uh, using multi-factor authentication Patch management, next-gen AV, intrusion prevention, those can be the first line of defense, right? Just because you have an alarm system in your house doesn't mean you don't still lock the doors. Um, Another important consideration for security investment is ensuring that uh, they have access to timely and actionable security intelligence. Um, The the threat actors, uh, they, they... they change and, and grow and, and uh, evolve over time. And so it's important to stay on top of the new threats and, and potentially adjust your security plans and your investments for changes in that threat landscape. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I think also, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the shortage of cybersecurity professionals, I think it's important for IT and security leaders to do an inventory of their people resources, determine if they have enough people with the right skills to support their security program. And uh, another important aspect is they should make sure that they are planning for continual education and upskilling of those resources. One, so they don't get taken away by other uh, organizations that, that need them. And two, to, to keep them their skills sharp. Um, and, you know, organizations may consider filling resource or talent gaps by engaging with service providers, et cetera. Or if there's, you know, certain tasks and resources that might be cost prohibitive to staff, like threat hunters, targeted threat hunters, incident response professionals, that's certainly uh, something that uh, IT leaders should look to, to outsource. Um, you asked about, you know, how to measure success. I think the measure of success is not only looking at metrics that demonstrate, you know, potential threats that were avoided, but um, how quickly and effectively the program is able to respond to and minimize the impact of, of any incidents is also very important. Absolutely. I think those are great points there. And also on that people factor as well, you know, potentially looking at you know, the satisfaction with teams and, and churn rate, for example. I read something that was quite startling a few weeks ago, and it was looking at women in particular with roles in the cybersecurity industry. And it was kind of saying that um, love for the role was so high, you know, well into the 90 <clears> percent. Um, but actually the churn around that role was higher um, equated to, to other people from a diversity of experience, for example. So it's such a huge area to look on. So so many measures we can look at there um, in terms of that success. I think you're absolutely right. Really great points. And diving into that kind of education piece, in, in, in to, to say that again, and diving into that education piece in a little bit more detail as well. I think research matters as well. I've got a bit of research hat myself. And I was really impressed um, with your new report, the SecureWorks latest State of the Threat report, um, detailing lots of predictions for 2022, an absolute mine of information, I would say, that you can make really personalised to your organisation, you know, right through from SNE all the way through to enterprise. I wonder if you could share with the audience kind of your nuggets, your key takeaways from that report, where to look to first. Yeah, so that was a really interesting report. Um, I, I think for me personally, some of the some of the takeaways I have that are you know kind of relevant to the topics we're discussing today are around things like um, threat actors changing tactics as it relates to ransomware, for instance. So our security experts predict uh, first that rather than holding a company's data hostage via encryption, for instance. Threat actors may actually threaten to expose data and make customers choose between paying ransom or facing regulatory fines. So that's kind of a shift that, that uh, is really interesting. Um, also, we are seeing already cyber uh, insurance providers declining renewals or making it harder to get coverage if companies can't show enough due diligence regarding their security protections. Um, and, and so uh, our teams are predicting that certain types of threat activities like ransomware may actually end up being too cost prohibitive for these insurers to cover. So just some really interesting uh, insights and, and predictions around ransomware. Absolutely. As well, I'd also recommend to the audience to check out some news from the Lloyds Register. Um, from Lloyds from London, they literally were covering a similar area as well. And it really brings to the fore that key point from your report as well. So there's a real strength in that opinion, I would say. Really excellent. Thank you, Lisa. 
Um, and another area, another area of research as well, and this is what I was directly involved in, that came out from the group PSA certified recently. And that was looking at some prohibitors, for example, around security investment, amongst a whole lot of other factors, particularly around IoT security. Um, and that was finding that 52% of respondents found cost to be their biggest barrier to security implementation. And it was followed by fragmentation around standards and regulation as well. And that was at a level of sort of 48%. I wondered, you know, bearing in mind your research and what you've seen in your role, does that figure surprise you at all? No, it definitely does not surprise me. <clears throat> you know, there's there's really no magic formula that tells you exactly what the right amount of spend is to protect your organization. And uh, unfortunately, there's no amount of spend that guarantees 100% protection, right, from security incidents. And while the standards and regulations can can help guide companies on their security investment, um, there's you know wide variances in how those might be interpreted. So, so I'm not surprised around the you know that comment. Um, I think finding a trusted security partner that can help assess. Uh, your organization's specific kind of risk tolerance, the threats and goals might be a good path for companies trying to balance risk reduction with security spend. Absolutely. It's almost that metaphor of the bridge, isn't it? Working together and that facilitation piece, I think, and internal external knowledge sharing around these things is also really important. So I love that. That's a great point. And also when we look at other things that we can do to you know, lower risk and improve security, what else do you think security leaders can be looking at, for example, in working with others in the organization, you know, better alignment, for example, across different departments? Yeah, I, you know, security is really a team sport within an organization. And so players come from all areas of the business. And, and if, if it's the, you know, the security leader doing all the work, it's, it's not going to work, right? So some important kind of cross-organizational coordination can include things like working with the procurement team and establishing processes for vetting suppliers and vendors, especially if they're going to have access to some internal systems. Um, often there's multiple teams across a company that engage with business partners. So having some kind of standard requirements for, for due diligence should be established to ensure that partners aren't opening up the organization to, to certain risks. Um, it's also important for an organization's own IT, dev, and data ops teams to, to really uh, embrace a security mindset. You don't want security to be an afterthought in any of those processes. Uh, and, and then back to the people, I think, you know, last but certainly not least, there needs to be a commitment across every team in the company to prioritize employee security awareness training. Um, they should continually advise their employees about new ways that attackers may try to gain access to company resources by by catching them off guard when they're you know busy working their their daily job absolutely i couldn't agree more it has to be this and we talk about 360 degree visibility don't we but i think it's also that kind of 360 commitment as well um to investing in security training and awareness and for all roles not just technology facing ones i think that's so so important so i love that point and also as well, we'll share a link for the audience around your um, business impact of cybersecurity report as well. That's some lovely kind of takeaways, for example, about closer working between IT ops and um, SecOps for one example as well. But lots of examples there about how different areas can work together more productively and close any gaps that could you know, equate to risk there. So really interesting findings. 
and we touched on investment there and kind of return on security investment, or as I would phrase it, kind of the cost of insecurity. Actually, let's change the narrative around that. Um, but when we're looking at how security leaders can really get that mind share from the board, from their executive team to get that commitment, um, when we're looking at you know justifying security budgets, for example, what would you say is a great way to do that? You know, what examples have you seen with the customers you're working with? Yeah, I think, you know, the 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 cost of insecurity is is one way to talk about it and, and the risks of, you know, uh, an attack, right? And and kind of the 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 fear-based approach, right? But there's other means as well. And, you know, there is no silver bullet in cybersecurity. Um, and so I think it's important to, to try to reframe the conversation around security spend away from it being this unfortunate necessity to weaving it into the business initiatives as an enabler. Um, and as an example, we're, we're seeing over and over that the ability to demonstrate security due, due diligence is something that can actually differentiate a company in the eyes of its prospective customers, partners, and investors. So, so that's one way to, to talk about it. Um, another way is for the security leaders to ensure that their security initiatives are, are gaining traction by tying them into the company's larger risk management initiatives. So some thoughts here. Um, I talked a little bit about cyber insurance. It may be right for, for the organization, maybe partnering with finance or the risk management team to determine if, if that's a, a potential you know, cost recovery tool that will work. Um, also, security is, is certainly and should be an important aspect of the company's governance risk and compliance strategy. So are security leaders coordinating their security plans with, with the company's GRC goals and requirements? Uh, and then this is a big one too, you know, companies should ensure that overall business continuity and resiliency, resiliency plans cover security threats. Uh, and this means evaluating whether their organization is spending the right time preparing and running tabletop exercises to confirm that should a breach occur, you know, are they ready and can they mitigate the impact? Love it. I love that. So many different examples there of how that can be done. I think that's great. It's really holistic. Um, and I must say as well, that one about you know, viewing as competitive advantage, not cost, I think is hugely important, particularly when we think about trust you know, more broadly. Uh, probably the biggest currency of our time and interesting research from Edenwood that came out very recently as well. And it kind of said, because they've been benchmarking trust for 17 years or so, and it said in the last year, um, the bastions of trust, so to speak, consumers are trusting more around big business and big tech companies than, for example, government or NGO for the first mm-hmm. time. So there's a big, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big conversation. This so, so organisations that are leading way around investing in security, privacy, compliance, governance, etc. That will bring its own shared value in terms of building that trust as well. So I think you know, not not as a cost, security as a shared benefit, as a shared value, and a driver of competitive advantage over time as well is certainly a strong aspect to cover. So thank you, Lisa. That's fantastic. And I'm, I'm going to use a little expression. We use this in the UK a lot about mind the gap. It's one of our little phrases we use a lot, um, and it's often used in referring to security and cybersecurity more broadly. So I wonder when you're looking at the gaps, people, things that people might be missing. You know, making the invisible visible, so to speak. What do you think is being missed most when we look at companies' risk assessments today? You know, for example, social media accounts not being included, or even those of CEOs, for example. Um, I'd love to see what you're seeing as those key areas where we maybe need to look more closely and bring those to the fore. Yeah, I, you know, the the majority of threats 
that result in a breach or compromise can probably have been detected by traditional security controls like firewalls and antivirus. So, you know, we need to make sure that we're not leaving behind traditional means of protection, right? Um, But that being said, attackers get creative when trying to find a weak link. So you give great examples, you know, targeting social media accounts or or launching CEO impersonation phishing attacks. some of those things come down to that security awareness training. It should not be overlooked. Um, and best practices around that even recommend testing employees periodically by doing things like launching fake phishing attacks internally and see who takes the bait. Um, and, and then, of course, just, you know, it's very hard to, to adequately staff for this, but standard hygiene activities like regular patching can go a long way in reducing the attack surface. So investing in tools and capabilities that help prioritize those hygiene actions is a really good investment. Absolutely. And you kind of beat me to my next question, actually, in in a sense, what I was going to say, you know, from day to day operations, what do you see being left behind the most often there? And for me, definitely patching is right up on the list. So I literally was doing a session today all about zero trust. And that was the one, again, from an audience perspective that was coming up as the one that, yeah, it it gets left behind. So what what are you seeing there aside from patching, perhaps? So I'll, I'll stop you there because I think I combined those two questions in my last That's answer. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> Not a problem at all. I, I did wonder, but I thought I would throw it in anyway, just in case there was something else you wanted to bring out, but you covered it naturally. No problem at all. I'll just yeah, sorry that about that. You sorry about that. that. No, no. Honestly, it's better because it's natural. It's a natural flow. Not a problem at all. So perhaps we look now at different areas of security. I'm really passionate about bringing different aspects together. You know, it's not just a technology conversation, it's culture, it's education, it's process, it's skills development. So I'd love to kind of stress a little bit more about these people factors, the cultural factors that must be center stage with any security program today. And I think they can make a huge difference on that return on investment that's come up quite a few times today in our conversation. So I'd love to hear more about the learning culture at SecureWorks. How would you describe that and how are you supporting education and awareness around security for all your employees and customers, of course, too? Yeah, so as you might suspect, SecureWorks takes security and security awareness very seriously, um, and it's really baked into everything we do. So whether you work in finance or HR or in a technology role at SecureWorks, security is part of what you do and think about every day. Um, our IT, dev, and SecOps teams, you know, bake security into their processes, uh, including you know vulnerability testing and remediation, red teaming, threat hunting activities. And, uh, you know, actually all our internal teams understand that, that they have to partner with our CISO office as part of any new initiative. So that could be new partnership, um, engineering and development projects, new go-to-market activities, uh, vendor, new vendor relationships, et cetera. So really as part of, you know, everything we do. Um, and then, of course, security awareness training, obviously mandatory for, for all our employees. Um, for, for customers and our SOC team, um, you know, we, we help to provide security contact and support for our managed XDR customers. So we're, you know, providing our customers with, with that ongoing, you know, security awareness for their teams. And then we have other services that, that we can help with to assess and test the security posture um, within our uh, customers' organizations to, to look for active threats. So our, we have adversarial testing teams, our incident response, and our threat hunters that uh, we can partner with customers to, to um, bolster their security. 
Fantastic. The power of education, but also the power of partnership there. I think that's fantastic. And if I may just throw in one final question, if we were coming back into this conversation, which hopefully we can do you know, later on in the year, what would you hope has changed? You know, what new innovation may we have seen around this economics of security? Yeah, I think it comes back to, you know, some of the stats you showed around cost being such a barrier to security implementation. I mean, ideally, we'd see cost become less of a barrier. Uh, you know, if companies look for ways to change the narrative, as you say, on cybersecurity spend, you know, convince their leaders or their board that security spend can be a business enabler, maybe tie that security spend into the broader risk management initiatives, like I suggested, um, then maybe we'd see less IT leaders worry that they can't get enough security budget. Um, Scaling security operations by partnering with a service provider is one way to lower the total cost of ownership of all those security tools that they've invested in. And then, you know, like I've mentioned, preventative and proactive security spend, you know, could just help organizations actually avoid expensive reactive measures. So, yeah, I'd definitely love to see, uh, you know, more organizations uh, being able to, to right size their security spend. That's fantastic. I think those key words again, isn't it? Changing the narrative around the economics of security. I think you gave some great examples throughout that, not just from a technology standpoint, but from many human ones as well, that exactly how to do that. So Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you. And thank you all for listening as well. And we'll definitely be sharing more of the examples from our conversation today and some of the research, for example, as well. So you can find out more and dive into more of the details we discussed in today's episode. Thank you all for joining. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.